What's your favorite Super Bowl commercial? Anything uh, stand out to you? Uh, I've been watching some of the, the ones that have been in the past. And by the way, there's a website where you can go and see the ones that are uh, already being released for today. And it looks like there's some more good ones. And uh, some of these commercials that come out, you do watch them and you wonder, what in the world is this promoting? It makes me feel really good, or it makes me laugh, or it makes me feel really sad. And it moves you, it motivates you to do something. And the reason these companies spend all of this money, I mean millions of dollars, to be able to have these commercials during the Super Bowl is because they want you to buy their product. And they know if they can get it in front of the world like that, then uh, great things are going to happen. And sometimes immediately, as soon as the commercial goes, uh, they will see their uh, websites. Uh, the traffic just rapidly increase. And in years past, uh, some of those sites even crash because people are wanting whatever it is that was just advertised. And so these are people who know how to connect with their audiences. As we hear today in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, not in any way to compare Jesus with a Super Bowl commercial. Um, there is this great sense of uh, motivation that is going on. There is this connection that Jesus is making with His crowd. And Jesus was the greatest communicator of all time, right? Wouldn't you say? I mean, I don't know anyone who could top Jesus. And we continue to talk about this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it is something that never gets old. It's something we always need to hear every time that we read this text or we hear it uh, proclaimed or read. There is something new that grabs us, right? And we're going to be looking at this in the next few weeks. Uh, last week we uh, considered the Beatitudes and uh, thought about what it means for our lives to, to know that, that we are blessed and what does it mean for us to be blessed. And we talked about maybe some things it doesn't mean, some things that we tend to get wrong when we hear that word, you are blessed, or to, to think for ourselves that I am blessed, and that has certain uh, meanings for our lives. But here today we hear more of the specific application of that. So Jesus has all these people who have come out to hear Him. And He is teaching them. He is sharing with them some words that they really need to hear. And as He's doing this, and I wish we could see the faces, and uh, it would be nice to be able to go back to that time and to sit there with those people and to listen to Jesus talk. Wouldn't that be amazing? I believe one day we will get to hear that, right? Amen. And, uh, and Odessa, we know your mom is already there, right? She's already hearing those words. And uh, what a blessing it would have been, though, to be there and to hear how Jesus was working the crowd. Not in a negative way, not in a manipulative way, but in a motivational kind of way where He is able to speak to their needs. He's able to identify uh, their pains and their struggles, their challenges. He's able to take their very low self-esteem and, and bring it up and to help them understand the words that He speaks to them here today. As you look at these uh, people, you would not think very much of them. Th these are not the elite people of their society. This is not the, the rich group of people 
uh, that some people uh, would see in the city as they would go to the temple, uh, as they would go to uh, different events in the city, they would uh, command respect by the way they were dressed or the education that they had or the professions that they had. But these folks are not them. This is the poor of society. These are the people that may have been shunned by their families, may have been pushed away. These are people who are hungry, as we'll later see uh, throughout this this Matthew uh, text. And as we go through the the Gospel of Matthew, there is this emphasis on bread. And it kind of goes back to bread and hungering for righteousness. And uh, it's not just a physical hunger, it's a spiritual hunger as well. And so Jesus looks at all of these people. And he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I'm sure they were thinking, we've never been called that before. We've been called a lot of things. We have had a lot of things said to us in the past. But surely Jesus isn't talking about us. Because we know salt is indispensable. And we feel very dispensable. In fact, we could die out here listening to this Sermon on the Mount, and probably no one would ever notice that we're gone. And Jesus says, you are indispensable. You are the salt of the earth. And they knew they depended on salt. Salt would bring flavor to their food. But salt for them was also uh, something that would bring healing to their bodies. It was something that would preserve their food. It was something that would be used in pretty much every aspect of their lives. Jesus says, that's what you are to the world. You are something that brings flavor to the world. I imagine there were some flavorful people uh, sitting out there, right? Just like in any congregation. I could go through today and, and talk about the different flavors that we have here today, right? Some of you really spice things up. And uh, some of you are uh, bringing such things into the world that if you didn't exist, the world would be a a much poorer place, wouldn't it? If you were not allowing yourself to be that spice of life and to to bring that, our world would not be preserved. Uh, the The good things of this world would not be preserved if it weren't for you. And so Jesus says this about them. And he says, you're the salt of the earth and you're going to make a big difference in this world. He kept talking about this kingdom that was coming, right? He says, in this kingdom, as I am beginning it, I need you. God needs you to be who you are. To go out into the world and allow God to kind of shake you out on all of the the things that are going on, all of the needs of the world all of the injustices, all of the problems, you're going to make a difference. And then he says, if you don't believe that, then hear this, you're the light of the world. And if you look back here in the the gospel, uh, really it's about what and who, isn't it? It seems like it always comes comes down to that. Just like in any business, it's, um, you know, what's our business and how is our business? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, we're supposed to be salt, Jesus says. And he says, uh, how's it going? Well, there's a lot of darkness out there. And God has always wanted us to be the light of the world. So what's the problem? 
The problem is we're not shining the light that we need to shine. Isn't, isn't that what John the Baptist kept saying as we looked at several weeks ago? And uh, it's ultimately what led to uh, his head being cut off because he was shining a, a light very uh, in a very dark place in a very bright kind of way. He was spotlighting something that needed to be addressed in their world. And it got him into all kinds of trouble. Jesus never said... You know, your, your light uh, is going to keep you out of trouble. It's more like it's going to get you into trouble. So he says, you're the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. So, of course, back then they didn't have lights. Uh, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have things that they could just um, turn on. And so if you were traveling and you were going a particular way, you could look off in the distance and see the lights of a city as people had their homes uh, illuminated with candles and other things. And Jesus says, uh, that's really what you're to be, is this bright light. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, in the exact same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And Jesus knows they're having problems. He knows that the people within His own religious group are covering up their light. They're keeping it to themselves. And they're, they're hiding it under this bushel. Bill has a great song uh, about this. We sang it the other day, Visions of Hope. Um, I saw the light and uh, we, had a, yeah, we had a great time. See, that's right, you did. Uh, great time singing that. And it's a, it's a great way for us to remember that, that Jesus was proclaiming that they take this light and do something useful with it. If your light is just shining in other light, well, that's great, but it really isn't making a difference, is it? If you light a candle in here, I mean, that's, it's nice, it's pretty to look at and all of that, but uh, especially when Kyle gets it lit, um, but <laughs> miracles do happen. Uh, as we see the light, I mean, it, it's great, but it is really only useful when it's in the dark, when it can illuminate something, right? Jesus says that's the way it is with you. And He says to all these people that are gathered around Him, you are going to shine brightly in this new kingdom, in this world that needs you so desperately. And so he sends them to go out and to be the light. And the, the world would be a very different place because of that. As we think about all of the, the things that uh, Jesus would, would say to them, he, he was really unleashing them uh, or uh, releasing them to go out and be who God had created them to be. And they had such talent. In that group, even though they felt dispensable, Jesus said, no, you are indispensable and you are a people of many talents. Well, today, as you watch the Super Bowl, if you care to watch it and and Kyle, I, I don't think God cares, but God would have cared if the Cowboys had been there. Um, but since they are not God, you're right. God does not care who wins the Super Bowl, but. Uh, some of the, the players to watch today would be people like Tom Brady. Um, and uh, I see some, uh, some celebration back there, Jason. Uh, Matt Ryan. 
uh, would also be one to watch. Malcolm Butler, um, Garrett Blount, Julio, Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu. There's so many to, to watch, and if you, you watch them, you'll see why they are in the Super Bowl. And you'll see the skills that they have and their ability. Someone like Tom Brady who can, you know, just uh, magically throw the football and uh, to, to one of his great receivers who, uh, while surrounded by all of these other players, be able to catch the ball uh, in such a way that uh, we just go, there is no way, no humanly possible way that he could have caught that football. And we see what brings them there. And we see this, these teams full of talent, both teams, Atlanta and uh, the Patriots. They, they are both uh, highly skilled, highly gifted groups that are playing. As we think about what it means to be the church, we recognize that, that God has made us to be a group of people who have all kinds of gifts and abilities, uh, even supernatural abilities to do things that the, the world so desperately needs to see. And the problem, I think, in the church of today is that the world isn't seeing it, right? They're, they're not seeing all of what God intended for the church to be. There is a, a quote by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and, and I realize I didn't make my, uh, my letters stand out enough, but I want to read this to you. If you remember uh, about Dietrich, he was... Uh, living uh, in, the, uh, in the time of uh, Nazi Germany and uh, was a Lutheran pastor. Uh, he came here to the United States and said, no, I, I'm going to go back and be with my people. That's where God wants me. I need to be a shepherd to them. And uh, he really began to rebel against um, Hitler's regime and even tried to assassinate Hitler and ended up being hung for it. But he is one who speaks very clearly to what church ought to be because he lived it. Christianity stands or falls with its revolutionary protest against violence, arbitrariness, and pride of power. And with its plea for the weak, Christians are doing too little to make these points clear. Christendom adjusts itself far too easily to the worship of power. Ouch, that kind of hurts, doesn't it? Christians should give more offense, shock the world far more than they are doing now. And as he said those words during um, World War II, we find that they are still applicable today, aren't they? That the church is far too weak. The church is not speaking up. The church is not crying out at the injustices of the world. We, uh, and Sabra, I appreciate what you were saying earlier uh, after we sang Shine, Jesus, Shine, and, and how you were moved to... Uh, just remark about the need for us to to welcome all peoples, uh, especially people who are fleeing injustices of their country and oppression and uh, the terrible things that go on, especially as we think about those coming from Syria and uh, some other places where we see families coming. And we talked about this last week that 
that God has called us. And we looked at all of the, not all of them, but just a few of the many, many passages throughout the Bible that refer to refugees and even concluded that Jesus was a refugee as well, wasn't he? And his family. And uh, so we see that we are to welcome those who are fleeing danger and fleeing their countries to come to this world. And, and we see that uh, that's not necessarily what the powers that be want to have done. And we see this going back and forth and the constitutional challenges and the things that are happening. Uh, but what we don't really see enough of is the church standing up to say, look, this is what the Bible says. And we are going to do what the Bible says to do. We're going to do the things that Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 58. And if you uh, look back at that particular passage, uh, you will see where uh, this is how God measures what really needs to be done. Uh, If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. Uh, So he's saying all of these things, if if you're not caring for the poor, if you're not looking out for the homeless, if you're not doing works of justice, then you are not letting your light shine. No one is seeing it. No one is being affected by it. And you're doing all of these religious things thinking that that's what God wants. And you are so wrong. Because what God measures is how you care for the weak among you, how you care for the powerless, how you bring and include those who are marginalized, how you love the unlovable, how you forgive those who seem rather unforgivable, and how you express the love that I have shown you. These are the things, God says, are what you need to be measuring and grading as a church. So as we think about that as a church today, we recognize that God has given given us a significant job to do. But it's just as simple as salt and light. Think about that for a minute. Those two things are still very indispensable. And we need them. Our world needs them. How is it that God is calling you as a part of this church to be the salt of the earth? In the light of the world. As I look out today, I, I see a lot of gifts, as I mentioned before, a lot of spice that is here. Some of you are very talented with music. Uh, Bill and Scooter, uh, and we think about Matt and Troy and, and others. Larry. And Larry, uh, as Larry led us in the prelude and is getting ready to play again. And, and so many of you have that gift. It's a gift I don't have. I wish I did. But I see how you use it and I see how the world is blessed and how God takes your light and makes a difference with it. I heard uh, a quote from Bono, uh, I think it was after he did the um, 9-11 or the the Super Bowl event uh, right after 9-11. And in the interview, he talked about uh, the power of music and how you 2 the band, really didn't feel comfortable doing the halftime show five months after 9-11 took place. But he said, no, we need to do it because of the power of music. Music is uh, 
defiant joy. It's defiant joy. How is it that God can take the music that we have right here in our church and use it in such a way in this neighborhood and in our world where we are able to to do some things that just seem impossible? Things that can happen through music. What about those of you who have gifts of of, uh, arts and painting? And I saw Kitty here earlier. And uh, Kitty, we know that uh, you have a, uh, a couple of paintings in here and that you have a lot of gifts and ability to, uh, to make a difference through art. And some of you youth back there, and I see Parker, and, and I know this is true of others, maybe not Jason, uh, the gift of being able to draw and to animate and, and to bring things that are in your mind or in your heart and put them onto paper. Jason, you probably have that gift as well. We know you play the violin, and we're still waiting to hear it. Um, but we have all of these gifts. Some of you are great educators. We have uh, a, a good number of educators right here, whether you are still teaching or retired. God loves to take your gifts and bless the world. The way you could, and I think about Evelyn, you can sit down with a student and a student who doesn't know how to read or doesn't know how to read very well and bring a love of reading and a lifelong uh, dedication to learning from that student. And we heard her story on Sunday night and were blessed by it, especially thinking about all of the hundreds of children who have been blessed by your gift. I love to watch Dewana work with kids and to be able to take at-risk youth and give them a future. And there are so many stories, Dewana, of all the lives that have been changed. And these kids who come back uh, after being in college and one of them who's gone on to medical school, people whose lives have been changed because of someone letting their light shine. And I could look around and see this being true of so many others. The gifts and the talents, the time, the abilities that God has given to you to make a difference. So I hope today you will see that you are indispensable. Each and every one of you. The things that God has put inside of you can make a difference. We live in a world that uh, is just getting scarier and scarier at times as we think about even in our own nation uh, where things are being done that are counter to the gospel that we give allegiance to and proclaim. And I have seen the ways God uses our church to not only speak the words of the gospel, but to live those words. I hope that you will continue to do so as we go out into this week to have the courage to be who God has called you to be. I want to close with a uh, blessing that is a uh, Franciscan blessing. And as you hear these words, let them bless you. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may wish for justice, freedom, and peace. 
May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Let us pray.